It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. That crazy starts with an earthquake, birds, snakes, and aeroplanes. Many fruits are not afraid. I have a freaking listen to yourself, the world with its own needs. Something to your own head, beat it up, and I've seen got no seats. The ladder puts the platter with the fear fight down. Like fire in a fire, the fire, of the gangs, the government for hire in the combat site. But you wasn't coming in a hurry, the jury's beating down your neck. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Your source for information on how to succeed if everything else fails. And now, your hosts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. This is the Hour of Doom. And Bloom! That's right. Hey, friends and neighbors, welcome to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Hour. A serious second of savvy in a sappy world. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm Joel MD, also known as Dr. Bones of doomandbloom.net, where you'll find close to 800 posts, videos, and podcasts on medical preparedness for any disaster. I am a man. I've got a plan, and that is to put a medically prepared person in every family for any disaster. Great idea. I'm Amy Alton. I'm an advanced registered nurse practitioner and a certified nurse midwife. And the hostess with the mostest, absolutely, for sure, for sure. Drinking my green tea here with a little bit of honey. How new agey of you. And some lemon. And actually... A lime that I picked from our garden, which is called a red lime, that is which is awesome. really cute because it's orange. Yeah, we have a lot of uh, sort of exotic fruit. We have uh, star fruit or carambola. Mm-hmm. We've got uh, cinnamon, I guess. It's not really a fruit. A pomegranate. <laughs> well, we have, got... we'll say we have some unusual plants. Right. And we claim to have the southernmost producing apple tree <laughs> in the continental U.S. And now we might actually have one, one of... The most southern peach-producing trees. That's right. We just We're got delivered see. a couple days ago. We'll see if that produces. It's called a Florida peach, and the variety is a prince. How about that? Well, I am a prince, and you are a Florida peach. That's all I got to say. <laughs> I was a Georgia peach when I was growing up. That's right. That's right. Hey. Yes. Have you been injured in an accident? I have not. Thank oh, you very much. But some Thanks people, for asking. Some people out there in the audience might have been injured in an accident with a mendacious <laughs> monkey. <laughs> <laughs> Our attorney says, don't call me. Call Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy and listen to this. All information given and opinions voiced on Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's Survival Medicine Hour are for entertainment purposes only and do not represent medical advice for anything other than post-apocalyptic settings. No contract or provider-patient relationship exists or is implied between the hosts and listeners. Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy strongly urge their audience to seek modern and standard medical care whenever and wherever, please, it is available. That's right. Don't listen to the thing we say. However, Uh when the ambulance is heading in the other direction, when you're on your own, you better have some supplies. You better have some knowledge in that noggin of yours if you're going to 
deal with all the medical issues that you might encounter in times of trouble. But don't worry, we are here and we're going to help, 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 help. We are here. That's right. Hey, do you have a tidbit of advice, a little tiny morsel (laughs) that you're willing to share with the class? Well, I'll bet you do. We learn as much from you as you do from us, so connect with us. It is so easy. Here's Nurse Amy to tell you how. Please feel free to contact us anytime by email at drbonespodcast. That's D-R-B-O-N-E-S-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at AOL.com. Find us on Facebook at our group, Survival Medicine, Dr. Bones, and Nurse Amy. A couple of Facebook pages. We have Doom and Bloom and Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy Show. You can also follow us on Twitter at Prepper Show. And don't forget our YouTube channel at DR Bones Nurse Amy and our video cast the first and third Wednesday of every month at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard, excuse me, Eastern Central Time. No, bleh. Eastern Daylight Savings Time? EST. <laughs> Eastern Time. That's what we got to say. It's not Central, <laughs> it's Standard Time. All right. Well, that's a lot, but our website at doomandbloom.net has just about everything you need to succeed. Even if everything else fails, don't forget our three-category Amazon bestseller, The Survival Medicine Handbook. Check out our articles in magazines like American Survival Guide, Survivor's Edge, Survival Quarterly, Back Was Home, gosh, uh, Prepare, Survival as well, all sorts of Everything with the word survival in it. That you can imagine (laughs) would probably see us in it, as well as links from over a 1,000 great preparedness Mm -hmm. websites throughout the interweb. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ha-ha. Okay, well, let's start. You know, we have a lot of survival scenarios we talk about, but here's a scenario for you, but it's not involved with survival. That is, unless Uh you're a germaphobe. Kind of. Well, you know what? Let's say this. Here's the scenario. Uh You got a pretzel at the mall. It's your favorite snack, but you are a world-class Butterfingers, and it lands right smack dab on the floor. Uh Uh-uh. What are you going to do? Pick it up or eat it? Uh Uh-uh. Straight in, Throw the tra- it in the trash. Trash. Oh. Trash. Well, Absolute. No, no. Well, you fall into one category no, of person. Wait, That's a germaphobe. Let me just say something. If something falls on the floor and it's not in my house, and I don't know the last time that my floors were clean, and by the way, I don't have children running around either. It's just you and me. So I know where we've been and where we've walked and the last time I cleaned those floors. So, no, outside, not happening. Well, Sorry, I don't care what it is. <laughs> well, that's one category. Unless I'm in survival situations, and then I'll eat probably pretty much whatever Anything, right? I have to. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. Well, those who subscribe to the famous five-second rule. No, not even five seconds. They will assume. Touch. They will assume drop food is safer, safer about that period of time. Uh-huh. But, of course, there are those germaphobes like her, yep. like our little darling here, who won't get within 10 feet nope. of it. Trash. An ethical, a scientific dilemma. Oh, my goodness. For sure, for sure. <laughs> now, <laughs> what happens to food, really, when you drop it on the floor? Now, scientists say that the, even the cleanest floor has plenty of bacteria, but most of them are harmless. Right. So as soon as any food touches the floor, you're going to assume that it's going to pick up dirt, but does it pick up a disease-causing organism? Well, that's the thing. If I'm in my house and I know the last time that I cleaned the floors, I'll have a good idea as to what might be on the floor, what contaminants exist. Right. However, in a public space, I have no idea if somebody just stepped in dog duty outside and walked straight across that space, and now you know what's on it. Well, indeed, <laughs> you what you're saying actually does sort of match. Uh one scientist does say that he'd eat food that he dropped. He does? But 
the environment would have to be reasonably safe. You uh, say the house is reasonably knowing safe environment. who's walking by, right. who's been in. Right, exactly. But, you know, not a, a cesspool of filth like, let's say, the Ew. floor of any New York City subway station. How right? about any surface <laughs> in New York City? No offense, New York City. How about that? <laughs> well, you know, if there are disease-causing microbes on your floor, the truth is they could also be lurking on other areas and other surfaces That's true. like your door handle, your remote control, your kitchen counter, your remote control. Nobody thinks about that, but you should probably clean your remote control <laughs> once in a blue moon. I clean my microwave handles and my door handles and right. my sink handles, everything. Well, cleaning <clears throat> up those handles is going to be, I think, a pretty important thing. And of course, your food preparation services surfaces are very, very important to clean up. That is something that you cannot ignore. And I'm talking about normal times. I'm talking about bad times. I'm talking about all the time. So well, sticking to the five-second rule, in this circumstance, as long, if you haven't cleaned up the rest of the surfaces in your home, may not prevent you from getting sick. Just remember that. Now, some scientists say that exposure to microbes can lead to a very healthy immune system. That's why parents are being encouraged these days to let their kids out in the great outdoors and play, something that is very rarely done with these all these kids with their noses stuck in their smartphones. So you have to remember that maybe you do need to get exposed to some of these things to strengthen your immune system. Now, the same scientists that says to get those kids out and playing outside. They say, he says, actually, go ahead and eat that pretzel. Those are bold <laughs> words indeed, I'll say. But I'm, I'm not sure I agree with that. I know. Well, go ahead and eat that pretzel. Yeah, the, that advice, sure enough, the average germaphobe, you see her right here, that's, that's hard advice to swallow, huh? <laughs> if, if it landed on the carpet in my house, and I know when we vacuumed it, no problem. If it lands on the floor... And actually, I can tell our walking spaces. We have, you know, sort of traffic. We have game trails. Yeah. <laughs> that if that things you... fall outside of right. that, I probably don't think that much of our traffic has walked in that direction. And it's, I mean, nothing is sterile unless it was just autoclaved. And even then, if it's exposed to the air, it's instantly not sterile. So, you know, I mean, I if probably... you're a true germaphobe, you better get in a bubble and just be done with it. I mean, there's there's degrees of this. You know what? We probably need to go into the kids' room and make sure <laughs> make sure that no uh, plague-carrying rodents have made nests in there because uh, we haven't been there. I haven't been there in a while. Well, I do walk in every once in a while, but I miss oh. I miss the babies that are moved away, so I try not to go in there very often. Oh, well. I know. I now have one that lives in Chicago, and the other one's doing an internship in New York City. Uh, could that could City. they be a two um, less ideal environments for survival situations? <laughs> I just hope the world keeps it together while my kids are in these places. My little one will be out of New York City in four weeks. In four weeks. Okay. The end of April 2016. Oh, that's so, good. Although she says she wants to move back there. To New York. Permanently. New York City. Uh, the city. Yuckadoo. Okay, well. I know. Anyhow, speaking what of places like New York City and Boston <laughs> and Paris and Brussels, it seems like every week there's some kind of violent event <sighs> that boggles the mind of any civilized person. I know that 
when well, I boggles my mind. Yeah, absolutely. When <laughs> when I look at the TV, I've sort of before I turn it on, I just sort of you know I have to like close my eyes cringe. and just make sure you yeah, <laughs> cringe a little. Make like, sure oh. something terrible hasn't happened. But, it's true. When we get these alerts on our email, and every time I see one of them, I'm like, oh, what happened this time? Well, you know, given all these bombings and shootings. Uh, most recently, I guess, in Brussels, we now actually most recently in Pakistan, there was a bombing in Pakistan. It killed like 50 women and kids that. on a playground today? on a playground. Yeah. So Ugh. just terrible. But we are now pretty much realizing that mass casualty incidents, which are also called MCIs, mm-hmm. are just going to be part of the new normal. Uh, a mass casualty incident, as you may have heard uh, me mention before on previous shows, that's any event in which the medical resources just don't match up with the number and severity of injuries injuries that you have to deal with. Mm-hmm. Now, let's look at images of any terror terrorist attack. Just go ahead and take, you know, just say Boston or say Paris shootings or, or Brussels bombing and take a look at any images of those attacks and you're going to see a lot of blood. Now, these events tend to be over very quickly, but during that time, death from a bleeding wound can very easily occur. Now, in a world where high-level medical care is just minutes away, we are so secure in that notion that help is on the way that we just aren't ready. Unfortunately, that help is rarely, like, right there. It's rarely immediately at hand. The actions of individuals at the scene, you maybe, might make the difference between life and death for some victims. Now, if you don't administer aid in the first few minutes of some, and somebody who's bleeding, a hemorrhage could be fatal. Uh, in in an MCI or a mass casualty incident, the sheer number of those people needing help oftentimes overwhelms the ability of medical services to attend to them. That's right. That's right. Now, despite the urgency of the situation, you might be surprised to learn that law enforcement is trained not to aid the wounded, at least until it's clear that the threat has been neutralized. And wait, you're absolutely right. However, I will say that somebody wrote to me a few days ago and that the law enforcement in Galveston, Texas, which he's not personally involved with, but I guess he's friends with people, are actually <clears throat> changing or in the process of changing what they do. And instead of strictly walking by and continuing to engage the active shooter or seek the active shooter out to neutralize them uh, and stepping over or around or passing by these victims... They are going to be equipped with some bleeding control kits. Hmm. And I don't know what they're going to look like or how many supplies they're going to be. Um, I don't know anything about it, but they're looking into having some kits that they can toss to these people. So if they're conscious, they can maybe start doing something for themselves. It's going to be self-care. These policemen are still not, or police people, are still not going to stop and help you, but at least they're going to be tossing supplies. And this is what they're talking about, and this is what they'd like to do. So at least in one area of this country, uh, the policemen are starting to think about taking care of victims while they're still engaged with the active shooter, which I think is so brave and so well, amazing. it's a step. And, and such a big change. Well, I, I have <clears throat> a little bit of an issue in that, and, and because... This person is probably in pain. The person is bleeding. They are agitated. So, and how? And and maybe most importantly, how many people actually know exactly how to stop a major hemorrhage? 
Especially on themselves. Well, I will say their best kid is going to be mine because it has picture instructions. Well, your kid is That's not being egotistical. That's just being true here that if these people have absolutely no first aid training, which who does for the most part? It's a very small right. population. Take, right. In other words, if you're in the medical field or if you've taken a first responder or classes. Or you've been in the military. You know, who, right. How many people really know how to use a tourniquet, for example? Exactly. But that's a big issue. If we're going to talk about your medical kit uh, in in a minute, just just there will have passing. to be instructions in these things because right. otherwise you're just tossing them useless items. But it, again, the good thing is they're actually discussing this. They're thinking about. It, they're realizing. You know what? They're human beings. They don't want to walk by these people. What if it's a bunch of children they're walking by her bleeding? What father can? I mean, you have to be really, really strong and uh, and understand that your purpose as a police officer at that moment is to make the building safe, make the area safe, to not have any more children or other people hurt. Right. Well, the truth. That's their purpose, and and I, it's a brave purpose, and it's and it's you know it's no, actually it's a wise, noble. It's a wise it's move. It's noble and it's wise and it's the sound decision. But but. You know, you think about it. These these people are human beings with feelings, okay? Regardless of what some folks might think about police officers, most of them are really, really good people, okay? The women are moms, possibly. The, the men are fathers or maybe grandfathers. At least they're brothers or sisters or daughters. They have other people that they care about and they're family members and they're part of the community. So they do care about these people they're walking around. So the fact that they're thinking about at least providing some method for them to take care of themselves until they can get back and help, because they will help once that's secured. They just can't do it right there that minute. Their hands are tied. They have right. to do what they have to do. We hope the medical personnel is waiting just outside, you know, for when But the nobody can come in before, until it's secured. Until the threat has been neutralized. Those policemen right. have a very, very right. specific duty at that moment, right. and well, they have focus, to do it. Their focus they is very to. simply to, you know, th- neutralize the shooter. You're right. And, and this is a, avoiding caring for the wounded is, a, <clears> you may find it heartless, but... It's actually a wise they move have that, to. that avoids exactly. additional So you shouldn't casualties. think of it as heartless, folks. That's they're actually helping All right. so, other people from but, getting injured. So the point of the matter is, is that what I here's what I'm thinking about. The yes. few people, even if you, they do have, uh, even if somebody throws something at them, very few people really know how to stop a major hemorrhage. I mean, like I said, you'd have to have taken first responder classes, maybe uh, EMT basic, uh, or be in the medical field itself, just to know something simple like how to use a tourniquet. But the issue is, where are these kits? You know, you can find fire extinguishers in just about every home, every place of business, but there are no medical kits that are readily available to help a good Samaritan. So is it time to start making these items standard Put them on the wall with the sign, in case of emergency, break glass. I mean, should we be teaching bleeding control as a subject, as part of a, a, a larger first aid subject, perhaps, in schools and workplaces? Well, you know what? As horrible as this sounds, is it possible that we've reached that point? It's possible that we have. You and I both know that more attacks are coming, and probably some of them are going to be on American soil. Right. 
Now, disasters occur regularly, but not just terrorist events, but even natural disasters such as tornadoes. I mean, that can cause a great deal of trauma to some people and cause hemorrhaging wounds, for example. And very quickly, too. That's right. Unexpectedly and quickly. So the question is, if, if you put hemorrhage control, first aid, let's say, as a class, as part of a curriculum in school, would it make a difference? I think so. Well, yeah. Imagine a community I, full I think of people. I, I, we have said this before, if you folks are listening for the first time, that in school, starting at an early age, first aid, basic first aid should be started. Kids get cuts. Who gets cuts more than anyone? Children. You start in kindergarten. If you get a boo-boo and you can have a little bunny rabbit on the board, you know, if, if Mr. Bunny gets a boo-boo, what do you do? Go wash it off. Kids know where the sink is. They're taught to wash their can, their hands, hopefully, after they've gone to the bathroom. So it's nothing unusual to say, hey, not only after you the, go into the bathroom do you wash your hands, but after you get a boo-boo, go wash the boo-boo. We don't have to use hemorrhaging and laceration and severe bleeding and trauma. We don't have to use any of those words. We can use very simple. Kids know what a boo-boo is. You know, a little cut. Have a little picture of a little cut. You know, a little Johnny holding his hand. Not a big deal. Wash it off and then show, you know, a a piece of gauze over it with, with them holding some pressure. And then show them washing it again and putting on a Band-Aid. I mean, it's so simple, folks. And then you, you, you add on to that through the years, getting a little more, a little more, a little more advanced until, you know, eighth or ninth grade. These kids should know how to put on a tourniquet if they have to. That's not hurting anyone. But learning to use a tourniquet is safety. It will not cause harm. It's basic, and it's a good thing. They should understand what hemostatics are. What are these products that help stop bleeding? What are the good actions? Gee, direct pressure is one of the best things to stop bleeding. It stops 80 to 90% of bleeding. They should know how to do that because a lot of times the kids get a skateboard accident or a biking accident. Right. Everything that we're talking— They're with their friends, right? Right. What we're talking about is not— always assuming that there's a terrorist event that's occurring exactly. at their school or in in, their na- in your neighborhood. Right. Uh, there are a lot of things you might witness, a car accident, uh, a skateboard accident, uh, as you said. Right. A lot of different things. And, and imagine these kids if, are with each other. And imagine if you had a community that was full of people who had learned to deal with these emergencies right. just as a matter of course over the course of their school years, well, then how many lives... Would you be able to say? Matter of fact, and how many lives would have to be saved for such a subject to be worthwhile to teach? I mean, well, I mean, what's one life worth? Is it worth it? I, I, I sort of think so. Well, I guess that maybe that's, that's the doctor in me, but no, I, I think you're absolutely right. And and again, let's just take the the skateboarding. And I'm not sure how much skateboarding still exists, but uh, roller skating, uh, biking. People still ride their bikes, but usually these kids do it together. So there's a group of 10-year-olds or a group of 14-year-olds, and they're doing this activity together. A lot of times they're not around adults when they're doing it, and so someone gets hurt. Let's say someone hurts their head. How many of these crazy videos have we seen with some wild kid doing some stunt, and he 
wax his head either on concrete or on another object and he's laying there passed out and all the kids who are filming this because obviously you're watching this on a video are laughing hey hey johnny hey wake up are you okay what's huh and they're all laughing they have no idea what to do and then you know if the kid becomes conscious he's like you know call my mom and then they're like on the phone with the parent who is completely in shock, Parent doesn't know, doesn't know what out. to do, doesn't know where they are, and has to ask a million questions so they can figure out what's going on. And all of this time, 911 has been delayed. No, right. Nobody has thought to call 911. So well, in that, I really those think cases, people do... might not, because unless there's a lot of bleeding, people oftentimes don't, or a broken bone. I, I mean, if it's a concussion, people sort of say... Shake it off, buddy. Right. You know, unless you have taught children from middle school that head injuries are very serious. We can't. It's not a joke. If a friend of yours is not answering questions, doesn't know who they are or, or where they are or what just happened, you need to call nine one one. It's very simple. Okay, which brings me back to my basic issue is that in a bleeding scenario then calling 911 is, of course, very important in normal times. However, that person could be dead by the time, from bleeding to death, by the time the ambulance arrives. So is it time to educate kids with regards to what they need to do as part of regular school curriculum? Is it time to have medical kits placed in, let's say, every teacher's desk, to have it clearly visible in a workplace, uh, in the mall, other areas where crowds gather in case there is an accident or all the way to a terrorist event. Now, you might think it's overkill. It might make people nervous. But the question is, would it make people uncomfortable to see them? Well, that depends. Amy. Yes. When you see a fire extinguisher, do you get the heebie-jeebies? No, I don't sit there and say, gee, oh, my gosh. Maybe there's a fire somewhere. No. I say, well, that's a great item just in case there's a fire. That's right. Simple as that. And that's what I think would happen with medical kits. Now, of course, don't get me wrong, a, a kit or a first aid course to stop a major hemorrhage with all sorts of blood and stuff like that probably isn't for kindergartens, but it's for no. older children, teenagers, teach and teachers, of mm -hmm. course, staff uh, at workplaces, things like that. And you need to desensitize people somewhat. So you need videos, demonstrations, things like that, because the idea itself is still a little foreign to us. And there are going to be parents who are concerned. Their kids going to be emotionally traumatized oh and they're going to protest. But the truth of the matter is maybe those kids who underwent these classes or underwent training that I'm suggesting, maybe they'll become made of sterner stuff than our current crop of college students. My God, <laughs> they cry out in anguish every time their safe space is invaded. <laughs> Can you imagine what they'd be like if they came upon some major medical emergency? I know. You're, I, the college kids that are talking about some chalk drawings of different candidates oh. made them feel traumatized. Oh, my God. Remember? Yeah. <laughs> There are crazy stories, oh and kids gosh. are not tough these days, and we got to make them Get tougher. Get over it, Boy child. Scouts is great. <laughs> Girl Scouts is great. Boy Scouts is awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Girl How? Scouts should be allowed to be in Boy Scouts because they have the better courses. You think? Oh, absolutely. Oh, okay. Yeah, forget 
baking cookies or whatever the heck they were teaching me to make. These Boy Scouts are awesome. I think it's different now. You have a nephew that's an Eagle Scout. Yes, I do. I'm very proud of him. And my he, nephew, Matthew. He's awesome. He is awesome. We've told his parents that the, the two boys, they get to come stay with us in survival. Yeah. <laughs> the parents have to stay well, The parents behind. have to get their act together first. No, your brother's know. okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At least he'll touch a gun. All right. He doesn't well, mind. All right. Well... <clears throat> the bottom line is that these are hard times. You better be prepared for the hard realities that come along with it. You can live in denial if you want of the new normal, but you know what? I think you'd be grateful if the life of a loved one was saved by someone who learned the new three R's. Reading, writing, reducing hemorrhage. Reducing hemorrhage. <laughs> well, as much as I love arithmetic, and we certainly need to teach the basics, um, mm-hmm. We got calculators. Mm-hmm. We have phones that are calculators. We have computers that are calculators. So maybe we can get rid of the calculus and um, those type of classes get that are a little ad- advanced and put some first aid in there. Probably a good idea. Absolutely. Of course, we would we say that. We can make that. it four R's. Of course, we would say that, would we, we? We can keep the arithmetic. <laughs> we'll just make it four R's. How's that? That's right. Hey, you know what? It is time for us to take a very short break. You are listening to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Hour. With Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. We'll Stay be right tuned. Back. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm Joe Alden, MD of www.doomandbloom.net, where you'll find over 600 posts, videos, and podcasts on medical preparedness. Along with my wife, nurse practitioner Amy Alden, we're the authors of the Amazon bestseller, The Survival Medicine Handbook, with over 200 five-star reviews. A disaster can strike at any time, and the ambulance may not always be heading in your direction. We've got an entire line of medical kits, supplies, and educational resources that can help you deal with injuries and illness in everything from a wilderness hike to the aftermath of a major disaster. Check them out at our shop at store.doomandbloom.net. In a disaster, you'll be glad you did. And we're back. You're listening to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Hour with Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. All right. So we've been talking about kids, I guess. That's true. We what, have been we talking think about children in many different so, ways. So we might as well talk about some issue, or one issue at least, that is pretty significant in kids, and that is ear infections. Oh, God. Let's talk a little bit about that. Of course, it's a rare parent that hasn't had to deal with this problem at one time or another. Did you think I think you had oh, a lot of problems with your kids when they were infants? Not only that, but they wanted to put the tubes in my oldest, and she was too sick to go under anesthesia. Oh, you know your kid is sick when they won't even put them under. So she couldn't get the tubes, which she desperately needed, because she was too sick. And when they were never able to put them in. Now, these tubes that you're talking about, they were put in the eardrum to drain pus and other kind of infectious fluid. Yes, I'm sure well, you're going to talk about yes, that. Yes, we are going to talk okay. about that a little bit. All right, so we'll clear that up in a little bit. <clears throat> All right, we'll clear up that ear infection. <laughs> All right. Eh? Eh? <laughs> so anyhow, so a lot of people have had to deal with this, uh, and in a lot of cases, it's sort of a chronic problem. It can affect the quality of life of a otherwise healthy child, and you know, this is something that you have to be prepared for in times of trouble. Now, of course, the most common symptom that you see relating to the ear is usually pain, and that pain is usually due to some kind of infection, as we mentioned. Now, the ear anatomy is divided into three chambers. The outer chamber, the ear canal, basically, the middle ear, and the inner ear. 
Now, inflammation of the ear is called otitis, and depending on where the otitis is, it could be external, so it could be otitis externa, it could be in the middle ear, which is the most common, otitis media, mm -hmm. or even in otitis interna. Now, the easiest way to prevent an issue with ear infections is to always carefully use cotton swabs moistened with rubbing alcohol to dry the outside, not the inside, of the ear canal after swimming or excessive sweating. Okay, forceful use of a cotton swab is definitely not that you're something you're going to do. Don't be aggressive about doing it. Don't go real deep into the ear. Truthfully, doing that is actually the second most common cause of ear pain after ear infections. Absolutely. So, and I think you're going to talk about natural remedies at, yeah. at the end, which is awesome, folks. So bottom line is don't put anything in your ear sharper than, let's say, your elbow, mm -hmm. believe, it or, <laughs> believe it or not. All right, let's talk about swimmer's ear. That's otitis externa, and it's uh, commonly ca called swimmer's ear because kids get it oftentimes after swimming in the pool or in uh, at the lake Been there, or at done the that. beach, right? There Living you go. in South Florida, we, yep. we swam and swam yep. and swam. Sure. Absolutely. And uh, it most commonly affects kids that are about 4 to 14 years of age. Mm -hmm. uh, that peaks during summer months, as you can imagine, when kids go swimming. And what happens is, is that this water has bacteria in it, sweat has bacteria in it, and, of course, that all can accumulate in the ear canal. Once it's caught in the ear canal, it can cause inflammation and once your your ear canal is inflamed, it, it hurts. Ow. Right. Yes. All right. So what you'll see is a gradual development of, of an earache. And sometimes it ear itches. The ear itches. I'm mm -hmm. sorry, not the ear. The ear itches. Pain worsens whenever you pull on the ear. That's how you know it's external. It's on the external canal. Sometimes you'll see babies pulling on their ear when they right. have ear infections. Yes. Yes, I've seen that. As yeah, opinion. they'll pull on their ears. Some people get uh, ringing in the ears. Ringing in the ears is called tinnitus, as a matter of fact. I get that every so often. Um, or problems problems hearing. Actually, your hearing can decrease. I have. Well, I'm getting back to personal here. I also had a lot of ear infections when I was young and did not get tubes. And every time a doctor looks in my ears, they ask me if I had infections. And uh, I forget because, if it's my right. Because you can get scarring. I forget if it's my right eardrum, or my sure. left. I guess if we, you and I did a hearing test right now, you could tell. <laughs> but I have decreased hearing in one of my ears. How about that? I don't I don't think about it. I don't, like, put a little tag on I don't think I've ever told you that. I <laughs> After got, 20 years. I have decreased hearing on the side of the ear that's on next to you. <laughs> next to you on these podcasts because you're laughing so loud. Well, sometimes I say, what, <laughs> I ask you to repeat yourself, but... You just think I'm not listening, but it's not really not listening. I really do have a slight hearing problem. Well, nobody would notice, so don't you worry about it. I think it's my right ear. Pretty sure it's my right ear. So. Not that it matters. So let's see. It but does matter. But it can matter. happen. Now you, just so you know, guys, if you don't get it treated, you or your children can end up with scar tissue in there. Well, what happens also is that inflammation can cause scarring, as you mm -hmm. mentioned. Uh an inflamed ear canal can also weep drainage, so you may have some thick, mm -hmm. sort of pussy kind of drainage uh, coming from there, cloudy feel, drainage. It feels full, right? Right. Also. Okay, well, the standard treatment for this type of thing often includes a warm compress to the ear. It helps with pain control, uh, antibiotic drops or steroidal drops uh, in the ear may be useful. Uh, those you would 
want to do regularly, probably for a few days, mm-hmm. maybe seven days to right. get the full effect. Um, you would place the drops in the ear in a special way with the patient lying on their side. They should stay in that position for probably about five minutes so that they can completely coat the ear canal with the medicine. Mm-hmm. Then I think if you do that, you'll get much more a much more effective treatment. Now, some severe cases are treated with oral antibiotics. Amoxicillin is uh, a popular choice here. Oh, yeah. Fish mox, let's say, if, you, if you're accumulating fish antibiotics. And, of course, ibuprofen for discomfort. Now, the most common cause, as I mentioned earlier, is actually not swimmer's ear or otitis externa, but otitis media in the middle ear. Now, the most common cause of earache is an infection there. Now, normally, you're... Your eardrum. You have an eardrum that, uh, which is a membrane that separates the outer from the inner ear, from the outer from the middle ear. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so what <clears throat> happens here? Normally, the eardrum is sort of a shiny, grayish-looking membrane, and when there is an infection in the middle ear canal, behind that eardrum accumulates some pus, some inflammatory fluid. And the eardrum looks different when you use an otoscope. We'll talk about an otoscope in a minute. By the way, eardrum is also known as a tympanic membrane. So if you hear the tympanic membrane, that just means eardrum. Now, because there is pus or inflammatory fluid behind it, then it may be a little more difficult to treat it. You may need to be a little more aggressive about taking an antibiotic. So you may want to take it earlier. You may want to take it for a little longer period of time. Now, otitis media is most common in infants and toddlers. And sometimes this occurs because a breastfeeding mother doesn't know what position her baby should be in. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You should have the baby in an upward position. So that the, the butt of the baby, the bottom of the baby, is sitting on your lap, and the baby's head is on the breast. That's right. So you, the baby's head is higher than exactly. the rest of it. Almost in a sitting position, you would, you would think of it. So the baby's kind of sitting their bottom on your legs, and then the head is on the breast area. And that makes feeding. the most sense. If, the, if your baby is laying flat as it is breastfeeding, then what happens is, is the tube that goes into the canal, ear canal, winds up having some fluid accumulate in that area and it can cause a middle ear infection. And the same thing happens with a bottle. You do not want to hold the baby horizontal when you're feeding it. You want the head always higher than the body when you're feeding a baby. So almost like they're looking up for the bottle. All right, so let's talk about what would a kid with otitis media look like. It would, of course, that child would be in pain, probably more pain when they're lying down. Uh, they would have tro- trouble sleeping. They'd have irritability. They'd be crying. Uh, they might have a fever, very commonly would have a fever, mm-hmm. I would think. Yes. Uh, they would lose appetite. They might be a little shaky on their feet if they're walking. Uh, they'll pull. They'll pull on the affected ear. Absolutely. And or hold the affected ear. They may drain some fluid from the affected ear, in, in the worst cases, or may have their hearing affected. There are a number of things that you can do that are natural remedies that can help 
this type of thing. Uh, you can mix some rubbing alcohol and vinegar in equal quantities, or alternatively, uh, you can use 3% hydrogen peroxide. Yes, and that alcohol and vinegar formula was actually told to me by my pediatrician 26 years ago. Wow. So this is a tried and true, folks. This, this, we didn't just invent this all by ourselves yesterday. This has been used for many, 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 many years. Probably many more than any of us can remember. Our great-grandparents can remember and their great-grandparents can remember. So anyhow, use that in equal quantities. Pay, put three or four drops in the affected ear. Remember that you want that to coat the ear yes. as much as possible. So have that, the kid laying on their side. Yep. Uh, wait a few minutes and then have them get up and tilt the head the opposite direction to drain out the mixture. Next, you might want to consider using some olive oil or maybe add a drop of an essential oil to adding it to absolutely. the olive oil, like tea tree, eucalyptus, peppermint, thyme, uh, lavender would work. Mm -hmm. Things like that. garlic may have an antibiotic effect, so that might be good. And... Mullein. Yes. Okay. Mullein is uh, really, really good for ear infections. Definitely warm the olive oil up a little bit and make sure you place about two to three drops in that ear canal. And remember, uh, we were just telling you that putting those ear drops in, the patient should be laying down sideways so that the unaffected ear is on the bed and the affected ear is upwards. And you put the drops in and have the patient remain in that position for like five to 10 minutes, then have them turn over with a compress on the affected ear. And now the affected ear is on the bed and that will help drain out that oil so that the excess can come in, come out. That's right. Now, some people say that you don't have to drain the oil out, but it may be uncomfortable to have it in. So it, it's really up to you. Mm -hmm. Now, some people will actually secure like a cotton ball with maybe some eucalyptus oil or something like that mm -hmm. uh, against the ear overnight so that there's some effect during sleep. Absolutely. Another thing that I've heard of is to take a half a clove of garlic mm. and put it in a folded piece of gauze uh -huh. and tape that on the ear. Wow, no kidding. Well, that is interesting. Yeah. Well, garlic may have an antibiotic effect, so that would be interesting if that works. You I have know what? no idea if that works. With a I lot of these remedies, <laughs> you don't know. A lot of these remedies are anecdotal in, in the reports on their effectiveness. So the bottom line is your experience may vary, but it might be worth mm -hmm. a shot. Some people find that warming, having a warm compress there or having some kind of heat source next to the ear may be somewhat soothing for the pain. You might dip a sock in some warm water and wring it out very well and then mm -hmm. place it on the outside of the ear. That's something that you can oh, do. Oh, warmth, warmth is really good. Yes. Warm compresses, that always help with the I pain. I agree. Absolutely. I absolutely agree. Now, there are deep inner ear issues. Uh, those are called otitis interna. And what they do is very commonly cause something called vertigo, basically dizziness. So these people feel nauseous. They're dizzy they have trouble functioning because they're unable to keep their balance. These people, are, they may be treated with an, infect, uh, with an antibiotic, but they also are sometimes treated with things like Dramamine. They could be treated with Valium. Uh, Antivert is another, I think that's called Meclizine. Mm -hmm. uh, these are medications that are good for dealing with vertigos, and uh, a couple of these can be 
uh, accumulated in quantity. But they will make you sleepy. They do make you That's sleepy. That's one yes, unfortunate indeed. side effect of those. One thing I want people to know is that it's actually healthy to have earwax. You don't have to crazily <laughs> try to dig out every little <laughs> bit of earwax that you have. I mean, you actually well, produce we, it you know what, we, as a protective you're right. agent. But I'll tell you, we use Q-tips. Not, it's not so much for us to get out earwax. But we just don't like that water feeling when you right. come out of the shower. Right. Well, that that's wet good. feeling yes. in your ears. So yep. I, we use Q-tips. We don't shove them like into our brain matter. <laughs> but we, <laughs> don't we do that, both folks. of us gently use a Q-tip on the outer ear canal and to get a little bit of that water out. Just don't put it all the way in, folks. Earwax, just so you know, the reason why you have earwax is it helps trap dust particles before they reach the eardrum. So how about that? It's useful. It, that's right. <laughs> now, let's say you have a huge amount of earwax that's lodged against the eardrum and it's affecting your hearing. You've got to deal with it. You could have, of course, an earache associated with it. There may be an odor or a discharge. You could have some significant ringing in the ear. So you can actually rinse out your ear and get that wax, the, a overly thick accumulation of earwax out. Uh, commercial ear rinses exist. They come with special syringes. Home remedies for that would include, let's say, a few drops of baby oil or mineral oil. This softens the wax, and then it can be flushed out with some hydrogen peroxide. Great idea. Some people just use the hydrogen peroxide. So that's something you could do. Now, you might consider for your medical kit to have something called an otoscope, O-T-O, scope. And that is basically a ear scope. And it allows you to evaluate the ear canal and see all the way to the level of the eardrum. Not much further than that, though. What you do is you hold this thing in your hand as if you're either holding a hammer or holding a pen. Either one is fine and every, everybody's a little different as to what makes them the most comfortable. You use it in your, hold it in your left hand if you're looking in the left ear, right hand if you're looking in the right ear. And gently rest your knuckles against the side of the head near where the opening for the ear is. And this and helps you stabilize the yes, scope. Exactly. That's, that's if you move it all over the place, for. it's hard to see. It's important to know the ear canal, the external ear canal, the, from the outside to the eardrum is about two to five centimeters long in adults. It's shorter in kids. In kids, it's straight. So you could actually just look right at the very edge there, and you can see probably all the way through. In adults, is the ear canal is not straight, so you actually need to pull the fleshy part of the ear back. When I say that, I mean the fleshy back part of the ear. That's called the pinna. Yes. The pinna, P-I-N-N-A. And to and describe it be... a little more, it's the top of your ear, but, right. but towards the back. It's where all those goth <laughs> people put all their earrings. Oh, yes. <laughs> there are 20 earrings on the back right. of the ear. Right, but you're not only pulling up, but you're also pulling back, back towards yes. the back of the head. Exactly. That'll give, in an up adult, a, in an adult, that'll give a better view of the eardrum. You probably, other than just steadying the ear, maybe holding the ear, uh, the earlobe just to steady the ear of a child, you probably can see what you need to see. Yep. You always explain, by the way, when, I, when you're using any kind of instrument on a child, explain what you're doing. Sometimes it may feel weird just tell them it might feel weird. It won't hurt, though. That's what you need to tell them, and it really shouldn't hurt either. These otoscopes come with an attachment that can be cleaned or disposable. Mm -hmm. uh, that's called a speculum, and they're in different sizes. Just make sure you use the right size that matches up with the ear of your, the ear canal of your child or, or the person that you're examining. Always examine the normal ear first because that will allow you to see what normal anatomy looks like, and it also prevents 
you're transferring an infection from the ear that's not healthy to the healthy one. Time for another short break. You are listening to the Survival Medicine Hour with Dr. Bones and her Amy right back. In these days of terrorists, active shooters, and worse, every school, workplace, and homestead should have the equipment necessary to save a life. The first aid bleeding control module is meant to provide the items you need to stop hemorrhage. It's compact, lightweight, and has easy to read waterproof instructions. If every teacher's desk, worker station, and car or truck had one, have no doubt, it would save lives. Available at store.doomandbloom.net. That's store.doomandbloom.net. Okay, we are back. And we want hey, we want to thank all the great networks that replay our shows, the Prepper Broadcasting Network. Shake and wake. Right? Survival US. Central Radio and USA Emergency Broadcasting yep. Network. And by the way, we apparently have other people that replay <laughs> our shows, and we really don't even know Thank who you. some of them are. But you want to know something? Thank we you. don't mind, and we are glad that you do, and I hope that you spread this information. If you'd like us to mention you on our podcast, well, just Let drop us, us a line at drbonespodcast at aol.com. We want to help you get the word out to people. Absolutely. So... Hoax or not? What? A hoax? <laughs> I'm pretty good about ta- sniffing out hoaxes. I was taken in by this one, and Were I you? was furious. Oh, no. Furious. All right. Well, tell me about it. All right. Multiple websites are reporting that. In a historic study, a Saudi panel of scientists concluded that women aren't just household items, as it was previously believed, but are mammals and therefore should have the same rights as camels and goats. Oh, my God. So you're saying that they're considered toasters Toasters. Oh. So now I'm a goat instead of a toaster. All right. Unbelievable. All right. Well, and actually, they said because, because we were mammals that we actually have the rights to be fed and have some water. Oh. So, yay. And so these are scientists in Saudi Arabia. Yes, yes. That are saying this. Yes, okay. So a spokesperson for the Women's Liberation Action Network called Jane Austen. Jane Austen. Yes. I I don't know. Maybe she's the writer. (laughs) (laughs) No. She's been dead a while. I know. She's the walking zombie of of Jane Austen. Anyway. She said it's a great leap forward for women. The scientists stopped short of assigning the women human status. The decision didn't find much support among Saudi religious authorities and some of the kingdom's political elites. I I wonder why. The scientific discovery could create turmoil in Saudi Arabia's legal system. One political analyst said, if before women had the same rights as a chair or a table and were seen more as individual property, now they have an equivalent status to certain animal species and thus must receive, at the very least, feeding, watering, and be conferred a minimum of attention and respect, which apparently wasn't the case previously. Okay, let's recap this. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm not a right. ch- I'm not a chair or a toaster anymore. Okay. I'm actually so, a goat. So I'm supposed to believe that scientists scientists, scientists in Saudi Arabia previously believed that women were like objects. Like a toaster or a chair. Right. They were Table. in that class. That they had made a ruling mistreated. Yes, that they could have a, a ruling that says mm-hmm. 
that women are now considered mammals. Right, but not humans. But not humans. Not humans. Therefore, don't have a soul. No. I would guess. And that this is a leap forward for women's rights. And we According should... to Jane Austen. a 19th century, early 19th century author. <laughs> well, I'm sure that... That there are other people named Jane Austen. We, I guess we know of pretty... one, actually. <laughs> Who right. supposedly a spokeswoman. Well, I know the, that she, that the one we know is not that's her. That's not her. No, this one was supposedly a spokeswoman for the Women's Liberation Action Network. All right. I think it's probably a hoax. However, <laughs> that doesn't be. mean that doesn't mean that things are so great for people, for women in Saudi no, Arabia. No, they're not. As a matter of fact, here's. Uh, tell me some facts, baby. Here's some things that are true. Yes. If you're a woman, you can't drive a car without a male family member accompanying you. You're considered a loose woman if you walk the streets alone, even if you wear a garment called an abaya that covers your entire head and body. Which is another word for burqa. Right. Men routinely harass you verbally if you don't match their idea of, on, this is on the street, by the way, of yes. how a Muslim woman should look and act. And by the way, this is all true, folks. That's right. These facts. These that, are true. That he's stating are true right now. On Saudi Airlines, you might have, be asked to move if a man in the seat next to you doesn't want to sit next to a woman. Not ask. You may be made you to move. You have to, right. It's not your choice. Right. You can't sit in a Starbucks where men sit. They Sexes are in Starbucks in Saudi Arabia separated. are separated. Okay. Or the religious police get in action. Uh, your oh, husband okay. is encouraged to take additional wives. One woman had a prenuptial agreement that said he would not take additional wives. And the clergyman, the imam mm -hmm. that married them, said that it's a sign the marriage probably will fail. Uh -huh. And you can't open a bank account without your husband's permission. And worst of all, if a woman that isn't accompanied by a man is raped, the actual penalties are worse for her than for the, the man who, who raped does the her. crime. So it's pretty amazing. However, having said that, you can vote and run for office now if you're a woman in Saudi Arabia. If... If, if you have permission. Uh, if you have permission from, from a male relative. Lovely. <laughs> well, guys, that's all the time we have for today. We hope you enjoyed it. And we will see you next week. This is Joe Alton. And Amy Alton. Bye-bye.